You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Hump Day edition of the Yard. I'm uh, recording this just after midnight, I guess almost 1 a.m., uh, here in Stark Vegas. We finished up the ball game, had post game. I got home, I guess, around 11 o'clock. Had to, had to clean up a little bit. You know, we got to live life. And uh, so I'm with you guys now, and we're going to talk a lot of baseball going to recap the game. We're going to talk about what the recent announcement about how regional and super regional hosting sites will be handled. We're also going to look around the league. We're going to look ahead to Auburn. Big baseball show today. Big, big baseball show today. Uh, and here's not what we're not going to do. I can't speak for anybody else about the content that they share, the stories they write, or the shows they record, uh, we're not going to talk about women's basketball transfers because I don't care where they go. Once they leave here, they are no longer on my radar. I choose to be uh, in the moment. I didn't go back and date any of my exes either. So once they're out of my life, they're out of my life. That's just kind of how it works. And so not going to talk about that. Don't care about that. Not going to waste any emotional energy in that. I'm, uh, I'm more worried about incoming rather than outgoing. You can feel however you want to feel, but we're not going to invest any energy in that here on this show. Bulldogs had a big night at the ballpark. Uh, listen, we expected it to be a good ball game uh, for Mississippi State. really did. And uh, got the bats going a little bit, a little, little late getting them going, but uh, we'll recap that game. And an interesting night around the SEC. Tuesday night is always a very busy night, a lot of business in the league and some upsets and some, some RPI-building opportunities for Mississippi State as some of the teams we have defeated picked up some wins that should help us in the RPI, which is always a good thing, especially with them announcing the regional hosting sites earlier than usual. So time to kind of keep up with that RPI because, uh, you know, listen, we're just over 30 days away from them making these announcements. It's crazy to think about, but that's where we are. So we'll be RPI watching. We'll be working hard to ensure that we uh, are playing well. And I thought Chris Lamontis handled it pretty well in post game. You know, I, I guess it was Joel that asked him, you know, does anything change? He said, no, we got to keep winning. Simple as that. You know, State won't get the benefit of playing Alabama, Missouri, uh, as far as determining a regional hosting side. But we're in position to host right now. But, again, more about that a little bit later in the show. A lot of misinformation out there. And one of the things that I don't want to get on a soapbox too early in the show, let me encourage people to, you know, that we've got a lot of headline readers and article avoiders. 
You know what I'm saying? It's like people see, you know, a, a pithy headline or, or something that's provocative, and we just read the headline. We don't go read the article for context. We just read the headline, and then immediately we react. It's almost like that old saying that I guess it was uh, Mark Twain that said, it is better to be thought a fool than uh, to open one's mouth and remove all doubt. And, uh, and there are some people that need to abide by that. You know, maybe it's me. But I get so irritated. It's like somebody will write an article and immediately people have an emotional reaction without reading the article. And then the content section, you know, the comment section, pardon me, becomes more entertaining than the article because you see these people with these, uh, you know, narratives that are not rooted in fact. You know, it's like yesterday I posted an article about, uh, you know, will the NCAA college baseball tournament be played on neutral sites? And then the next thing I know, you know, somebody said, oh, well, they just came out and said they're not going to give Mississippi a, a regional because of the flag. And I'm like, what? What? What What did you just say? I mean, was that? did you really write that? You know, that's the best thing and worst thing about social media is that anybody can use it. We've never had a problem hosting anything for merit, whether it be the women's basketball tournament, regionals at state or at Ole Miss. And then now we've changed the flag. So why in the world would that be an issue? I love each and every one of you, but some of y'all make my head hurt. Go get some remedy today at Bulldog Burger Company. I ate there, let's see, I guess I've eaten there three times in the last 10 days. I love it, man. I do. One of the best things I like it is the variety on the menu. They always keep it fresh. They're always adding things, kind of changing things. You know, and sometimes things kind of rotate off, come back a little bit later. They're innovators. That's one of the things I like about Bulldog Burger Company. Is it, it's like you know, I go some places, it's kind of the same thing all the time. That's not to say there's not consistency at Bulldog Burger Company. There is. But there are also new items and new specials that are always arriving. As you guys know, the full of bologna burger, that's the next thing I'm going to get. But I'm, right now I'm kind of on that grilled chicken club kick. It is outstanding. It really is. It's a good portion. And it's one thing we always talk about on the show with Bulldog Burger Company. The portions are very substantial. You're going to get your money's worth. Two locations now to serve you. University Drive right here in Start Vegas and Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. Another location coming soon. You guys are familiar with that. I have more details on that as we get a little closer. Spoke to the fine folks at Bulldog Burger Company about the new Ridgeland location. Uh, and listen, you guys have done a great job. It's one of the things that uh, you know John had shared with me is, man, they have a lot of brand awareness down there. And that's you go, that's you Boneyard listeners, right? I mean, that's, that's you guys listen to the show. And I appreciate your support of them. They're fine people that do a fine job at a fine price. You can't do any better. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. So let's break down this ball game against Southern University. You know, Southern was here a couple years ago in an NCAA regional. Really gave us some trouble, too. I mean, that's the thing I think sometimes we forget. Is you know, it's like, well, you know, you know, Steve, it's a swag school. And yeah, it is. But, you know, they play a pretty good brand of baseball in the SWAC at times. And, you know, Southern has kind of been the class of that conference for a long time. You know, go back when Roger Cador was there. Great man, great friend to me when I was in Baton Rouge, right? We worked in North Baton Rouge for a while. And, uh, you know, we did some things with uh, Southern University. And Roger could not have been more gracious, man. I mean, just a great man. And uh, really kind of changed the culture there at SU. And, uh, you know, had the Jags kind of like, you know, consistently consistently in 
the discussion to go to the NCAA tournament, of course, you got to win the SWAC. You know, there's not going to be an at-large at bid. But, you know, remember uh, Ricky Weeks, man, it was the number one pick for the Brewers. Got a chance to see him play in college. I guess it was back in 19 when we had the regional here. Let me double-check that because I, sometimes I'll make a mistake. Yeah, it was uh, an 11-6 ball game when we played them in the regional back in 19. And we were actually down in that ball game 4-2 to two through 4. 4-2. Four to two. And finally broke it open there in the fifth. And we go up 4. Uh, we, we score 4 in the fifth. And I take a two-run lead. And then they come right back and tie it in the seventh. And we finally put that game away. So it was 6-6 midway through the seventh, you know, back in 19. And we went to Omaha that year. Don't forget that. I mean, it wasn't like we were a bad team. Jared Lee Belt gets a win there for State. But, uh, you know, I, I just say that to, to point out that this is just not some also-ran team. This is a team that has consistently been in the NCAA tournament and uh, been pretty good in their league this year. Weren't so good tonight. I mean, really, really made some mistakes uh, tonight. I, I think when it was all said and done that all three outfielders dropped fly balls. I think the left fielder uh, wasn't charged with an error because it was a little more of a difficult play and they didn't have a beat on the ball. But you had uh, center fielder and right fielder just absolutely drop, you know, fly balls. And so kind of, um, you know, I can't say indicative of their regular play because, again, you know, Southern is a team that plays a pretty good brand of baseball down there. Just not on the level of the SEC. All right, so Southern gets out. What's interesting, too, is that, uh, you know, Southern was able to generate base runners all night, and they couldn't stop us from scoring. But they were able to uh, to put some guys on base. As a matter of fact, the ver- very first hitter in a Jag lineup, uh, singles to left, and then we get out of that. We get a ground out, a fly out, and a pop-up. And then uh, Tanner Leggett, you know, I don't want to, you know, oversell the point here. One of the things that I like about Tanner Luggett, other than the fact that he gets up there and swings a violent bat, is when there is a pop-up to his side of the field, he takes charge. You know what? It's mine. Everybody get away from me. I got it. And then he gets it. So thank you, Tanner Luggett. And it seems like a small thing. It's not. Bottom of one, State gets out there. We had we had a chance to have a big inning here, and we just didn't do it. Uh, Rowdy lays down a bunt on the first pitch, and it was absolutely beautiful. There was no chance on the play. Then we go to second on a uh, felt a pickoff, and they kept throwing over there, throwing over there, and finally threw the ball away. T.A. strikes out, and then Cam James is hit by the pitch. We get runners at first and second. Then Rowdy still third, and then Cam still second. And so now you got runners at second and third with just one out and Luke Hancock at the plate. And I'm thinking, okay, at the very least, we'll get a sack fly here and get a run home. Well, then they walk Luke. And I believe that's his 24th walk of the year, which is a ridiculous number. Logan Tanner then strikes out on three pitches, and then we score on a wild pitch. And then Josh Hatcher grounds out to end the inning. So here we are with a real opportunity early to get that timely hit to allow ourselves some distance early in the ballgame. We don't get it. We had to depend on an error on them, a wild pitch, uh, to plate the run. Just It just doesn't work. You know, we have got to be a little more timely with our hitting. We have ducks on the pond. We've got to do a better job. Doesn't matter who we're playing. You get bases loaded in less than two outs. you got to get a run home, and it's got to be one you drive in. It can't be this one they gift you. All right, so we get in the top of second, and again, this is one of those Johnny Holstaff deals where we're going to try to get an inning of work for a lot of guys because some of these guys aren't going to pitch for a couple weeks. So 
They bring in Cade Smith, uh, much anticipated debut for him. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he hit 94 on the very first pitch for a strike. That's a pretty good uh, debut for Cade. Gets a K swinging, then he hits a guy, and we get a K, and then we get a fielder's choice to get out of it. So, pretty quick inning for him, and uh, a little bit juiced up, ready to get out there and get going. But it's clear the stuff is absolutely electric. And I'm sure there's some people around the SEC saying it's just what Mississippi State needed was another power arm. Well, that's what we got. It is almost an embarrassment of riches. We just got to be able to throw strikes. So bottom of second, and again, we have a chance to have a big inning. We open up with Tanner Leggett getting a, uh, an infield single. And then they walk Kellum Clarks. So now you got first runners at first and second, nobody out. Forsyth then uh, hits the ground ball, and uh, they force the runner at second. So we got runners on the corners, and then next thing you know, uh, Forsyth takes off for second. The southern catcher comes up and tries to make a throw and loses the handle, and then Tanner Leggett scores. So, again, we get runners on, and we're, we're taking advantage of mistakes, but we're not driving in runs. Rowdy Jordan and lines out to right. T.A. walks. So, again, we get another chance in first pitch swinging. Cam James flies out to center field. So after two innings, it is a 2 nothing ball game. But both of those runs were basically gifted to us. And this is where I think if you're Mississippi State offensively, you've got to really challenge yourself and you've got to be honest with yourself here. And say, so, you know what, yeah, we scored a couple runs, but you know what, we've got to go up there and barrel some balls up. Doesn't matter who we're playing, doesn't matter circumstances. You know, you got to get in the habit of getting those hits, and that's the kind of stuff that, that gets kind of contagious too. So let's not sugarcoat it. As uh, a former football coach of ours said, let's not accept in victory what we wouldn't accept in defeat. So Mikey Tepper comes on there for the third, and um, you know we give up an infield hit, give up a stolen base, we get a case swinging, and then we balk the guy to third, and it was a balk. He kind of flinched like he was going home. I think every umpire on the diamond called it. Uh, then we get a walk again, and then we get a wild pitch, and uh, the kid, but the kid gets out of it. You know, we, we kind of got ourselves on a jam, and he gets a couple of Ks to get out of it without allowing a run. Bottom of third, again, you know, we get some guys on base, and we don't push them around, and it sounds like a broken record because it is. You know, we didn't open this inning with a base runner. You know, Luke Hancock flies out. Logan Tanner flies out. And then Josh Happer, abso- Hatcher absolutely corks one to right field for a double. And then uh, Tanner Leggett walks. He's back on base again. Hatcher takes third. Leggett takes second. And then Caleb Clark grounds out the second baseman. Again, another opportunity with runners in scoring position. We get nothing out of the deal. A little two-out rally there. But, uh, you know, you, you got to find a way to come through. And, again, this is not something that is just simply – an indictment on one or two players. This is just kind of something that there's funk that has just kind of stayed over us. We finally kind of break it open here a little bit later. But, uh, you know, just, again, kind of disappointing. And you say, well, Steve, and we won 15-1. to Yeah, it's true. But I'm just looking situationally here. We just didn't get it done. All right, so we bring in KC Hunt. And, again, we kind of pitch ourselves into a little trepidation, but we get out of it. So we get a fly out to open it, and then there's an infield single to third. Then we walk a guy on a full count. Now all of a sudden it's first and second. Again, at this point, it's a 2 nothing ball game. So time runs are on, bases for, on base for them with less than two outs in case he responds and gets a pair of Ks to get out of the deal without any damage done. I'm sure the people at Southern are kind of lamenting the fact, too, hey, we just couldn't get the big hit. 
All right, so we get in the fourth. Not much really going on here, but we were able to scratch out a run. Forsyth flies out. Rowdy Jordan with a single to right. Really hit that ball well. T.A. then doubles to left. Now we've got runners at second and third again with less than two outs. We don't get the big hit, but we're able to score the run. We manufacture it with the ground ball to the right side. Chases home routing. Now it's a 3 nothing ball game. Still felt like we should be farther ahead. Top of five, Dylan Carmouche comes in. And uh, you, you guys have heard my complaints about this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to air them again because it seemed like we had it fixed for a while. Uh, Dylan Carmouche has the best walkout song of all the pitchers. It's Shepherds of Fire by Vince Sevenfold. And for some reason, we don't want to play that at a majestic volume. That has to change. It is the best walkout. And uh, listen, if i got to hear so much of this crazy walkout stuff, at least do your boy a solid here and let me at least hear Dylan Carmouche at a good volume. All right, so I digress. So Carmouche comes in, gets a walk. I mean, pardon me, gets a fly out, a walk, and then two Ks. So, again, we're putting a guy on base. And through five innings, they have had a base runner every single inning. We get in the bottom of five, and this is when we begin to kind of flex our muscle just a little bit. Logan Tanner strikes out swinging on a full count. Hatcher grounds out to, to second. And so now it's, you know, we're down two outs already. Leggett again, Tanner Leggett. On base again. A guy that's kind of been, you know, kind of an also-ran this year. All of a sudden, we put him in the start lineup at second base, and the guy just continues to find a way to get on base. Maybe hit by pitch. Maybe it's a maybe it's a bunt. Maybe he scratches through a single. Maybe he works a count. But Tanner Leggett is getting on base. Leggett then still second, and then Kellum Clark walks again, and Leggett takes third. So now you got runners on first on the corners with uh, – you know, with two outs, and then Forsyth drops a, uh, you know, fly ball in the center, and they drop it, and a couple runs scored. Now, we, now again, we should have been out of the inning, to be fair, and they gifted us a couple runs here. And then Rowdy made them pay even more. Rowdy hits a bomb, a two-run bomb, deep into the left field lounge. Now it's a seven at the ball game. I don't know if you guys know this. Rowdy's had nine hits in the last four games. Rowdy Jordan's starting to get it going. Starting to get it going. We always knew that he would. But it's one of those things you feel so much better about our, our chances when Rowdy is up there swinging well top of the order. And he did hit line, uh, a leadoff tonight. We get out of the inning with a 7 nothing lead. Uh, we bring in Spencer Price for Carmouche. And then again, we pitch ourselves into some trouble. We get a K. Then we give up a single. He's still second. They had originally called him out. They review it, and he was safe. And the, the call was overturned, as it should have been. Absolutely the right call. Then we walk a guy. Then it's a wild pitch, and the guy goes to third. We get a fly out and give up, give up an RBI sack fly there that ruins a shutout. And, again, a lot of this is our own making. Then we walk another guy. And then we finally get, you know, a fly out. And, uh, you know, those are the kind of things you can't do. I, I don't care if you're playing Southern, Southern Miss, uh, you're playing Vanderbilt or whoever. You can't, you can't lose focus and give these guys base runners. And I know, listen, when you trot nine guys out there, not everybody's going to be on. But, again, another inning, we allow another base runner. So we get in the bottom of six here, and this is when things really get crazy. Uh, a bunch of new guys come in, and uh, I really thought we – and Lamontis said it too. We had some really good at-bats by some of the reserves. 
So Davis match reaches on an error by right field. He hits a long fly ball to right. They drop it. He gets on. And then Case Garner just absolutely murders an 0-2 pitch through the left side. The score is meshed from first, or excuse me, from second. But it's now an 8-1 ball game. Then Cumba singles to left field. Garner goes to third. Pimentel drops a single in. Run scores, makes it 9-1. Scotty DeBrule comes in. He singles, drives in a run. Now it's 10-1. Kite McDonald flies out, which is rare. He's a doubles machine. I really like him long term. I think he's going to be a great player for Mississippi State. Braylon Skinner gets in the ball game, which kind of surprised me. I figured with that, that tender hamstring, he might rest. But they get him in, and he dumps a single uh, in there as well, back up the middle. And DeBrule scores to make it 12-1. We bring in Drew McGowan, and he, he grounds out, and we uh, well, he hits into a fielder's choice, and they retire the runner at second. And uh, Mesh grounds out. So we bat around in the inning. It's now a 13-1 ball game. It's just really a matter of, uh, you know, what we're going to do. So we get to the seventh, and for the first time tonight, we get a one-two-three inning. Walter Kays, Frank grounds out, and then Davis strikes out swinging, and that was on a full count. So we kind of flirted with a little bit of it there, but that's the first one-two-three inning of the night for Bulldog pitching. We get in the bottom of seven, and again, these younger guys that are getting an opportunity to win jobs come through. And those are the things you want to see as a coach, administrator, a fan, or whatever, is you want to see these guys get in there and get quality at bats. Because, listen, it doesn't matter to them what the score of the ball game is. You know, these guys are trying to face Division One college pitching. They're trying to win a job. And so I'm not the least bit upset about these guys getting up there and working the counts. Of course, the, the strike zone expands. That's just kind of how life works. But that's just kind of how things are going to be. you got to go up there looking to hit, and I'm glad some of them did. Uh, so Case Garner strikes out swinging on a full count. Pretty good at bat there. Fouled off a couple two-strike pitches. I like him as well. I think that he is a big, strong, physical guy. It's going to be a big home run guy for us down the stretch uh, of his career. Speaking of home runs, Brad Cumbus hits an absolute laser in left field. His first of the year it was on an 0-2 pitch. Got a breaking ball up, and he murders it. Uh, Brandon Pimentel follows with a homer to right field, an absolute moonshot himself to make it 15-1. And then, uh, you know, we're out of the inning. You know, we get, you know, we, DeBrule pops up, McDonald lines out. But, again, we're barreling balls up. So, top of the eighth, we bring in Sarantola for Davis Rokus. Rokus, and I guess Davis on one that gets the one, two, three inning. Uh, so, the very first – or the second pitch of the inning, Sarantola gives up a single to right, then gets a K and a K and a K. And the stuff was absolutely electric. Again – and, again, I think it's one of those things, getting him some work when the game is already decided is good for him. He needs to get back on the mound, kind of like the kid that has the car accident, you know, has a little fender bender. The best thing to do is go ahead and get him back behind the wheel. And you fall off the horse, you get right back on. And so, listen, we're going to need Eric Sarantola down the stretch. I mean, there, there's going to come, come a point where we're going to need him. And you know what? you got a guy that electric coming out of the bullpen. If, you, if he can be a strike thrower, he can be a real weapon for you. I haven't given up on Eric Sarantola. I may have given up on him for being a weekend starter, but I haven't given up on him. So bottom of the eighth, we don't do a whole lot here. And again, this is when the strike zone's expanded. You got to go up or look in the hit, and you know, it's a fifteen to one ball game. Uh, Forsyth K's, Skinner K's, McGowan doubles through the left side on the very first pitch, and then Davis Match struck out swinging. We get in the top of nine. Uh, you get a ground out third baseman, and then a K, 
and uh, a single through the left side, and then a K swing, and that's uh, Chase Patrick out there, kind of closing this thing out. So, fifteen to one ball game. Let's look at the box score here. There were a few guys that did some pretty cool things for us tonight. Uh, Carlisle Kessler credited with the win, despite the fact that he just went the, uh, you know, the one inning there. So, Rowdy Jordan three for four tonight, three runs scored and two ribbies. Uh, that dog will hunt. Uh, Braylon Skinner one for two with a ribby. Tanner Allen just one for three. Drew McGowan one for two. Uh, Case Garner one for two. Brad Compass two for two. Brad's been on a little bit of a tear. Brandon Pimentel two for two. Josh Hatcher one for three. Tanner Leggett two for two. And again, the guy just gets on base. A couple runs scored too. Scotty DeBruel one for two. Uh, Lane Forsythe one for five. One of the one of the only guys that stayed in the ball game the whole time. So you get uh, 15 runs on 16 hits. And listen, it's efficient for sure. And you probably needed a game like this to kind of get everybody fired up again and get a lot of guys some some work. And so you had nine guys go to the mound and you had a ton of guys go to the plate. So I think we can feel good about, you know what, it was a good tune-up for us as we get Hi, Bulldog fans. Our friends from Tecovis want to remind you that uh, it's festival season. It's concert season. It's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort, so no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tecovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges ship right to your door. Go to Tecovas dot com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Ready to go play Auburn. All right, let's look around the league. And I mentioned it was an interesting night in the SEC. One of the first scores, Georgia Southern goes into Athens and beats the Bulldogs 2-1. to one. We've talked about the Bulldogs many times on the show. 
Scott Strickland's always going to have pitching. They don't have any offense. They just – they don't. It doesn't matter who you trot out there. They're having trouble scoring runs. I was kind of relieved early on when we didn't get them in the schedule. Now I kind of wish we had them. Maybe we'll see them in Hoover. Kentucky goes into Louisville and beats the Cards 11-7. to So that's a nice little RPI boost for Mississippi State. You know, Louisville ranks seventh in the country. So State with three wins over Kentucky – Kentucky takes down Louisville. Everybody benefits from that. Stetson nearly pulled it off in Gainesville, but Florida wins 7-6 there. Stetson's been a really a difficult team for those Florida schools. Now, it's going to be interesting to see if and when Stetson gets a regional and where they go. Tennessee, no trouble with Eastern Kentucky, 10-1. Kennesaw State and Auburn did not play. I don't know how I feel about that if I'm Auburn. Probably needed the game to get a little work. Kennesaw State also pretty good mid-major program. LSU destroys McNeese 14-1. to And uh, we talked about this earlier in the week. Jaden Hill now officially done for the year for LSU. We'll have Tommy John surgery. You hate that for the kid, man. You really do. This is a guy who was projected to be a top-10 pick. Somebody will still take him because, you know, pro scouts are not afraid of Tommy John anymore. It's just so much of a routine procedure now. But uh, maybe you don't take him in top ten. But, you know, again, you hate it for the young man. You don't hate it for LSU, but you hate it for the guy. North Carolina goes into Columbia, South Carolina, and beats the number 11 Gamecocks 3-2. Some people will say, ah, these midweek games don't matter. Yes, they do. When you're jockeying for position to try to be a top eight national seeder to be a host, yeah, you, you better believe these games matter. They absolutely do. Because they impact your RPI. They impact your postseason resume. You can't lose all your postseason games or even half of them and go out there and tell the committee, well, you know, these, these midweek games don't matter. If they don't matter, why play them? Doesn't make any sense. That's a big win for UNC. Uh, Arkansas, you know, seven, two winners over Little Rock. You know, Arkansas is interesting. You know, they're headed into Oxford this weekend. I don't really know how I feel about this series. There's a part of me when I say, you know what, I kind of wish Ole Miss would take two of three because it would give us the opportunity to kind of control our own destiny. If they put a couple losses up on Arkansas, we take care of business in Auburn. We're right back in the thick of things, and then we control our own destiny next weekend with Ole Miss coming to town. And then the flip side of it is, is like, you know what, if Arkansas wins that series and Ole Miss comes in here somewhat deflated, that might be a good thing for us too. I just know that I need that series to be a split. I, I can make it work either way. I just don't need either team to sweep if we don't need to find fall farther behind in the SEC West race. Southern, of course, loses to Mississippi State 15-1. Sam Houston State hosts A&M and wins the game 8-6. Aggies, what are you doing? What is going on at Texas A&M? It is incredible to think how this has happened for them. I mean, I mean, it is crazy. Texas A&M now 19 and 12 on the year, 19 and 12. It just doesn't make any sense to me, with all the resources that Texas A&M has, with the recruiting footprint that they have, that they are such a mediocre team in the SEC, and they are. And in some years they have good years, but there's no excuse for this team to consistently, you know, kind of float around in the middle of the pack in the West. Not that we need more competition in the West. But why aren't they more competitive? This isn't even an SEC game. You're losing to Sam Houston State on the road. They've, they have had some inexplicable non-conference losses this year. Yeah, go sit there and tell that coaching staff those midweek games don't matter. They absolutely do. UT Martin nearly pulls off the shocker in Nashville. UT Martin 
really gave Vandy a run for it today. And, of course, uh, you know, Vandy not throwing any weekend starters. But, uh, you know, it was a UT Martin jumped ahead in this ballgame, one nothing. then Vanderbilt comes back and makes it a 2-1 game. UT Martin was game, put up a couple runs there in the third to make it a 3-2 ball game. Vanderbilt answers, makes it a 3-3 game. And then in the sixth, UT Martin moves ahead 4-3, 4-3 in the sixth. And then Vanderbilt scores a couple to, put, to, to take the lead and put the game away, uh, 5-4. So would have been a huge win for UT Martin, obviously playing number one. But again, I, you know, I, listen, I get it. I know some people are ready to go ahead and crown Vanderbilt. I'm not one of those people. I think there's a lot of baseball left to be played. And we all know it by looking at, the, at the, the schedule. But I'm not ready to hand Vanderbilt anything. I think Vanderbilt has some interesting weekends ahead of them. I really do. And I think, listen, I think they're a great team. I'm not knocking them. But I think offensively they're not what they have been. Ole Miss takes care of Alcorn State 8-1. to one. You know, not much of a, uh, a contest there, but uh, I know Alcorn jumped out to one nothing lead, and then Ole Miss kind of took care of business. The big news out of Oxford is the first baseman Tim Elko uh, done for the year, and, and again, you hate it. You hate it for the young man. You absolutely do. It really changes the complexion of things in the SEC West. I mean, because I think most people said, you know what, Arkansas, Mississippi State, and Ole Miss are all right there together in contention to be a top eight national seed, not just having you know potentially four or even five SEC schools be a top eight national seed this year, but three of them in the same division. And so I think theoretically that was possible. Ole Miss really going to miss Tim Elko's bat. I mean, they really, really really are. And, um, you know, again, you hate it for the young man. You really do. But injuries are part of the game. You know, we just recently lost Riley Self to Tommy John surgery. Jaden Hill – Done for the year, Tommy John surgery. Now Tim Elko done with an ACL. And so, at the end of the day, I I just think about these guys that are draft eligible, guys that are seniors, guys that came back trying to kind of improve their stock, and then this happens to them. Because I don't know if you ever make that money up. I mean, Tim Elko, you know, a big bat and and kind of an emotional leader for that team. And so, you lose him. But more importantly, when you think about it personally for him, look at the money he's probably going to lose. The ACL is a long recovery process, and he'll, he'll bounce back. He's a good athlete. No, no issue there. But I don't know financially if you ever make that money back up. I really don't. Not to belabor the point, but let's just look at some numbers here real quick for Elko. I mean, this, this is a guy in 2021 who has been as, as good as just about anybody in the country. Uh, you know, hitting 340. And in 28 games, this is a guy that's got 36 hits and 36 at bat. 36, excuse me has scored 36 runs on 36 hits. That's, that's a lot. I guess I got my numbers wrong here. This long spreadsheet's bothering me. So 27 runs scored, 36 hits, 36 RBIs. I finally got it out. Seven doubles, nine home runs. So you, you lose a guy that's one of the better hitters in the conference, and a guy, too, in RBI situations came through. You're not going to replace that guy by committee. If there were better players on the roster, they'd already be playing, whether it be DH or another spot. And so that's something that uh, will obviously impact the race in the SEC West and ultimately the top eight national seed. I still believe that Ole Miss will certainly be one of the top 16 teams and host a regional. But uh, it will be interesting to see you know, if 
this production can be made up by other players. And I know just kind of reading some of the Ole Miss commentary, you know, people understand what a significant loss it is. And if it had happened to us, we'd feel the same way. That's one of the things I, I share. I've got a couple of Ole Miss guys that message me from time to time. I wouldn't call them friends, but I would say they're friendly. And uh, we discussed some of this yesterday and said, hey, I don't know if you saw this, but Elko's done. I had seen the video. And, uh, again, it's extremely unfortunate. It's just one of those crazy things, man. It's a non-contact deal where he's trying to avoid the first baseman where uh, there's been a, an error. And he's just trying to be, you know, trying to avoid getting injured and uh, not and not injure his opponent. And then it's just crazy. His, his leg kind of collapses out from under him. But, you know, people have reached out and said, you know, you know Steve, I don't know what we're going to do. You got a guy that's uh, among the SEC leaders in most statistical categories. That is a significant loss. There's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. But uh, there is a mul- there's a, there's a mutual respect between State and Ole Miss fans when it comes to baseball. And I think a lot of it's because we know we can both be good, and it's a lot cleaner part of the rivalry. But um, you know, listen, I don't want them to win. I'll be honest with you. But at the same time, too, I don't want either kids to get hurt. And uh, you know, I, I haven't seen anybody celebrating that. But um, that's not who we are, for sure. And uh, I'm glad that we haven't seen any of that. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we're we're trying to get to Omaha. We're trying to go win a national championship. And so uh, we're going to do what we can. And uh, I'm sure they'll do the same thing there. But uh, that is a very, very significant loss, to say the least. All right, time for today's top ten list, brought to you by the fine folks at johnnypacker.com you guys have heard me talk about this johnnypacker.com that's your your first stop to go get sunglasses listen you're going to spend money on sunglasses because the sun is out i wear my sunglasses every day i didn't for a long time but i got some prescription lenses i wear them every single day Uh, my mom has some eye problems her doctor said you know what it's probably best if your kids wear sunglasses to kind of protect their eyes and i'm out in the sunlight going to ball games and drive a lot so i'm always wearing sunglasses maybe you are too And at the end of the day, when I don't wear them, my eyes get kind of weary. So you need to invest in that and look no further than johnnypacker.com. Here's a cool thing, too. If you're going to invest money in sunglasses, isn't it nice to know that part of that money will go to a worthy cause? A portion of every sale goes directly to the Cystic Vibrosis Foundation. You guys should know uh, John Packer, John John C. Packer. He's very active out there in the Mississippi uh, State social media community. He's a part of this project, and uh, listen, most of these frames are named after cities within our great state. These aren't just cheap sunglasses, okay? These are made with grade A Italian acetate and German and Japanese riveted hinges. And so these guys have done a good job kind of putting together a good package here, but also, too, they're giving you these designer frames at a good cost, as he calls it, Hollywood style with golden triangle flair. Uh, go check it out again. That's johnnypacker.com, today's proud sponsor of the top 10 list. Some of these lists are so funny how they you guys kind of find me. It's like some of you guys have the same opinion and same ideas. So I had somebody hit me up, and I forget who it was, so please forgive me. But it said, hey, Steve, how about a Sheryl Crow list? You know, we don't do a lot of women on the show. And you know what? We're right. And I love women. I do. I love them. I love them all. But I love the women rockers, man. I love the women songwriters. And, uh, you know, not all of them, you know, kind of fit my style, but that's the case on the men's side, too. But I, I do love Sheryl Crow. You know, she made a life for herself as a background singer. I think she actually sang for Michael Jackson for a while. But an incredible songwriter. And then I had that on the list, kind of on our things to do. 
And then after I did the Kid Rock list, I had two different people say, hey, you know, yeah, I like that song, with that picture song with Kid Rock and Sheryl Crow. Why don't you do a Sheryl Crow list? So we get three people that mention Sheryl Crow in about a week's time. So we're going to do a Sheryl Crow list. and will make you guys happy. And I know that Jennifer Barnett right now is probably giddy with anticipation. She is a loyal Boneyard listener and also a huge fan uh, of early 90s and late 90s music. So I know Sheryl Crow is kind of right up her alley. All right, so top 10 list. These are three that didn't make the list, and I'll give you a reason why. Number one, we just did picture on the Kid Rock list, so we're not going to be lazy and duplicate that. The first, Cut is the Deepest, is a cover song, and she was actually nominated for a Grammy with that, but again, it's not hers. And then Sweet Child of Mine, also a great cover of hers, also not hers, but really did justice to that song. So here are the top 10 Sheryl Crow songs. You may have your own list. Your list would be wrong. But these are my 10 favorite, and I'm sure yours as well. Roy will have this up on a Spotify list a little bit later today. Okay, number 10, a more recent track from her. It's called In the End. I think it's pretty cool. I wasn't quite as familiar with that one. I listened to probably about 25 Sheryl Crow songs this evening uh, to kind of get this list together. Some of them are pretty obvious. Number nine is always on your side. It's a duet she sang with Sting, and I, and I think his vocal is just as good as hers. You know, Sting, obviously a legend. Number eight, Strong Enough. And this was a song, when it, when it dropped, it, I think every woman in the world immediately made this like her ringtone for her boyfriend or whatever, but it's Strong Enough. Are you strong enough to be my man? And for many of you, it's probably wrong. You're probably not, you know, for those ladies that you're courting. But, uh, but anyway... That's one of those songs that I know a lot of ladies love. I think it's I think the songwriting is great, but I love her vocal on it and I like the soft bed of music behind it. You know, I think it's 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 one of those songs it's best song is about it. I don't know how it could be performed any other way. Number seven, a huge hit for Cheryl was Every Day is a Winding Road. And it seemed like every time I got in the car that was on, like when that was hot, it was like they they played it once an hour on the radio. Number six, one of, I don't know if this was probably, if it charted as high as some of these other songs on the list, but I like the vocal on this one. I can kind of hear the pain in her voice, and it's leaving Las Vegas. Number five, one of her more optimist, excuse me, optimistic songs is Soak Up the Sun. We're getting ready to do that. It's getting hot around here, too. It's in the 80s today in Stark Vegas. Number four, A Change Would Do You Good. It goes back a ways. I think that was on her second album, if I'm not mistaken. I think a change would do you good. And uh, that could apply to a lot of things in life. Number four, a song that is rumored to be about Eric Clapton. You know, uh, Cheryl and Eric dated for a while. But it's my favorite mistake. And we all got one of those, right? I mean, you go look in life and say, you know what? I, I shouldn't have been involved with this person. And if you're like me, the list is long and distinguished of people that I shouldn't have been involved with. But there are a couple of them I look back and say, you know, it, was, it went bad in the end. But you know what? A couple of things about that I was pretty, pretty excited about. So my favorite mistake is number three. Number two, one of her huge hits. If it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. But if it makes you happy, then why are you so sad? I love the lyrics. I love the delivery. Uh, I love the instrumentation on this one, too. You know, Cheryl plays, I think, half a dozen instruments. And I love people that write and record their own stuff because it was, it's, it's difficult to do that. A lot of people, there's some people that are good songwriters that can't sing. 
There's some musicians that can't write, but Cheryl Crow can do a little bit of everything. Got a lot of respect for her. But number one, it goes back all the way to the beginning. And the story behind this song is rather interesting. It's all I want to do is have some fun, which is, uh, you know, at one point, the mantra for living for me. But she basically, and I hate to use the word stole, but she kind of borrowed a lot of these lyrics from a book of poetry that she found in a used bookstore out in Hollywood. She found this, uh, this book of poetry, and uh, was, there were so many phrases in there that she thought was really cool. So she strung them together and put together this, uh, this song. So it provides some new context. So there you go, top 10 Sheryl Crow songs. If you have an idea for the top 10 list, reach out let me know. And you guys have not been shy about that. And you guys have had some really good ideas. I had somebody say, hey, Steve, how about a soft rock top 10 uh roy kind of gave me a lukewarm reception to that but i'm going to do it probably next week but um somebody else asked for dolly parton how about that so we may work that in and so i've got a lot of a lot of good things a lot of people said hey, steve how about this and there's one there's one guy that sent me this a long time ago and I, he, i'm sure he's thinking he, i'm steve's moved on it's top 10 inspirational songs and that's one of those things that's kind of weighed on my mind for a long time. I think, you know, I, number one, I owe this guy less, but I want to do it, it justice. I don't want to just throw things together, you know, and put the theme for Rocky in there as number one and say, here you go, kid. But, um, you know, I, I really think about these things when I'm on the road. And so I'll be on the road this weekend. I'll be at Auburn. And we're going to talk about Auburn a little bit later in the show. But, uh, yeah, I, I kind of enjoy kind of getting out of the house for a while because when I'm home, really all I'll do is work. I mean, I, I rarely ever watch TV. You know, sometimes when uh, things are a little quiet around here, I'll put on some Netflix or whatever. But uh, basically, this time of year, you know, it's it's writing, recording. Uh, you just finished up book number four and got out, had conference calls all day on uh, on Tuesday in between writing and uh, and before going to Duty Noble. And I told Brian Haddad when I got to uh, to Duty Noble, I said, "This is the most relaxed I've been all day." And, you know, it's pretty labor-intensive covering those ball games. But, uh, you know, when we get some time to kind of get away and kind of get on the road, sometimes it's good for my mind to be able to rest. And I just crank up some tunes and uh, count the mile markers and just get out there and get away from the computer a little bit because I, I stay really busy. And I don't say that because I want to get sympathy from anybody. But, uh, you know, getting this book of poetry finished up has, um, has been really big for me mentally not just because of the fact that i'm done with the project and some of these things are very personal to me but also too it just kind of frees my mind up to move on to something else and so i'll take a few weeks to kind of heal and kind of recover from this process and then uh, i'll be ready to go again and i told you guys we're going to write another mississippi state book next year i'm really excited about that i'll actually start on it this fall maybe even start this summer you know i'll be sitting around the house i'll be bored and i'll probably go ahead and start doing interviews this summer and try to get that thing ahead and so We'll try to get that done, you know, sooner rather than later. Maybe we get it out next spring. Who knows? But um, we're going to work hard at all that stuff. And I take all this stuff so personal because I put my heart in every bit of it. It's never something that is just some casual undertaking for me. You know, my heart is in every line, and uh, that's what makes the editorial process so difficult for me. Because when I feel like somebody's being critical of the work, you know, even though I know it makes the book better, you want to get it right the first time. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, oh, my gosh, i got to do all this other stuff. And so 
Uh, I love the writing process. I love being able to produce content for you guys. And I get a lot of joy from the work. And uh, if you're looking for those books, you go to alphadogsthebook.com and you can get personalized copies of Flim Flam, Stark Villains, and Alpha Dogs. And I signed somebody's Alpha Dogs birthday present today. Maybe it's yours. And Father's Day's coming up, and that'd be a great gift for you guys, too. You think, you know, well, what do we get Dad? He's the Bulldog fan that has everything. Well, you can get him some of my books. I'm happy to sign them for you. All right, so let's move on here. Campus Bookmart, longtime sponsors of the show, man. I love them. They're like family to me. Standing man, Miss Kathy Brown, the lovely, talented Susie. When you see her, you'll wish she was part of your immediate family, I can promise you. Beautiful woman, beautiful soul, does a great job, kind of is the straw that stirs a drink there. Go by and see them. They'll be excited to see you. Stand a man. I've never went in there when Stan wasn't smiling, happy to see me. And it's not just because it's me. It's because that's the caliber of people they are there. Everybody up there is happy to see you, and they want to make sure that you get the perfect gift for the Bulldog fan in your life. But if you can't make it to town, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And I've shared with you guys before, you need to be following them on social media so you can find out the new arrivals before everybody else. Follow them on Instagram and Twitter at Campus Bookmart. They're really good about keeping that thing updated and letting you know when new stuff comes in. But if you're going to shop online, we've got a promo code that will help you. Go to campusbookmart.net and use promo code BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That'll get you free shipping on all orders, over 50 bucks, any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. Let me go ahead and get you prepared, too. You know, people said, you know what, we're opening up Dirty Noble, we need to do it all the way. Those days are coming. Those days are coming. So if you hadn't been able to come, you weren't able to, maybe you can't make the financial commitment to buy season tickets, you're going to have a chance to come. You're going to be able to get the general admission ticket, be able to come out there and hang out with the rest of us. So you need to be outfitted. You need to be ready to go. You can't just show up in those baseball shirts you wore five, six years ago. Get yourself something new and fresh and celebrate 2021 college baseball with us. And you can find that at campusbookmark.net. Okay, let's talk about this hosting site stuff. So the first thing that I want to say is nothing is completely definite at this point. Okay, and what I mean by that is there is still a little bit of wiggle room with how the super regional thing is going to be handled. So you got the D1 baseball committee, and, and, and they're, they're kind of putting these directives out to people. So the first thing that's important to understand is that all of these 16 regional hosting sites are going to be awarded based on merit, not on geography. Because the first thing that people saw when Kendall Rogers tweeted that is it think, oh my gosh, we're going to get screwed in this deal. Nope, listen, if we keep winning, we're going to host. Simple as that. We're going to host. And so we're not going to have to host at the Mississippi Braves Ballpark in Pearl, right? We're not going to have to go to Redburg Park in Memphis. We're not going to have to host a regional here at Duty Noble and get shipped across the country. So if we host a regional, we're going to play in it. And it's going to be on our campus. So let's let that be established right here and now. Now, those bids are going in, I think, on the 12th. I think that's right. I think it opens up on the 12th, and they'll make the decision on, uh, I guess, May 10th. I think that's right. So, so it's important to understand that, listen, our April opponents are no slouches. You know, you got, you know, Auburn, Ole Miss, Vanderbilt. It's no joke. We're going to have to earn it. Nobody's going to give it to us. You know, that's the thing, too. You kind of negate 
you know, the month of May when we have Missouri and Alabama in there, not to mention the SEC tournament. And so in many respects, you look at it and say, you know what, we're going to be awarded a host site, but we're still going to be playing for seeding in the month of May. Like I've read some comments out there, people say, well, then we just need to, you know, just throw anybody out there in May. No, that's not true. We still got to keep winning because we want to be a top eight national seed. We want to get the best seeding possible to get the best bracket available. We can't just go on autopilot once the regional hosting sites are announced. It's not that simple. We still got a lot to play for. And so there was also some confusion. People say, okay, well, they're going to be predetermined. Guys, they've always been predetermined. They've always been predetermined. They just announce them later. But it's always been predetermined based on merit. Nobody just shows up one day and says, okay, this is what we're going to do. So the top 16 teams, according to the NCAA Division I committee, baseball committee, will get hosting sites. And that will be announced, I guess, what is it, May uh, 10th? And then we'll have the rest of the season to kind of jockey for, for position. But we'll know then if we're hosting. Then we see what happens on the super regional side of things. Some people have suggested, well, no, they're going to go ahead and predetermine those sites. Well, they're going to be predetermined by, by meaning that the eight will be one of the or will be eight of the 16 sites. So what happened to us back in 2007, you may recall, Mississippi State goes on the road and upsets Florida State in their regional. Well, Clemson also was an upset winner in their regional. And then the Super Regional was played here. Well, that is not possible, this go-around. And you could say, Steve, why not? Well, it's because every Regional and Super Regional are going to be played on one of these 16 campuses. So if we end up being a top eight national seed, we are guaranteed, listen to me, listen to me, people. Forget what your friend posted on Facebook. If we are a top eight national seed, we will host a regional and a super regional. Simple as that. That's as simple as I can say it. Now, could something change between with the super regional between now and the time they announce the field? Sure. But based on the current line of thinking and the current plan, that's what would happen. And the bottom line is we got to make sure we're in top 16. And, and there's no guarantee we're going to be in the top eight. After we get you know the end of the end of April, we don't know that. We're going to have to get out and go play hard and ensure that that happens. So, why the rush? Well, they want to ensure that the COVID testing protocols can be met. That was one of the things that was a big part of the pod selections for the NCAA tournament. Is they were able to get those in locations where they could get rapid results back on COVID testing. Because listen, they're going to test every day. And so it can't be as simple as, okay, we tested and then we shipped our test off and we're waiting you know, a couple days. No, you got to be able to, if there's somebody that contracts COVID, you got to be able to pull them. So you've got to be able to turn those testing results around you know, as quickly as possible. And so in order to get that established, you know, that's going to be part of everybody's bid plan. They're going to send that in. So, okay, here's what we're going to do. Here's our testing. Here's the turnaround. Bottom line. And so once that's handled and those 16 sites are selected, they're not going to restart that process the next weekend and say, oh, well, let's, uh, you know, let's, let's, let's this team upset somebody in a region. Let's let them host. No, 
once the safety protocols and testing protocols are in place, they're going to remain in place through the next weekend. There's no point restarting that process. And that makes sense. I know some people say, well, you know, Steve, you know, why are they doing this? Well, the bottom line is it's about player safety. And one of the things that I don't think you guys fully appreciate, and of course, again, things can change, but the NCAA right now is, going to, is expecting to require a bigger buffer between the crowd and players. And I know the first response is, well, Steve, look at what they're doing at, the, at Texas. You know, there's, there's unmasked people out there. It's a capacity crowd. And you know what? That's a personal decision that I support. If you want to stay home, stay home. But the NCAA is going to do things a little bit differently. You know, they're always going to err on the side of caution when it comes to student-athlete safety. And so, as of now, that buffer is bigger than what we currently have. And there are going to be a lot of people out there that put in bids, and they, when they begin to realize, you know, financially this doesn't make sense for us. There are a lot of people out there that don't have the seating capacity that we do. When you start factoring in these buffers, all of a sudden you're like, well, wait a minute. We might lose money in this deal because there's no minimum guarantee this year by the NCAA. There generally is a minimum guarantee. This year, that's gone. So it's important to kind of understand that. So here's the bottom line is, yes, we can host, and yes, we can host a Super Regional. There are still a lot to be determined between now and then. You know, we're, I'm, we've really got the cart before the horse here. And listen, I think Kendall Rogers is obviously one of the most connected people in college baseball coverage, and a lot of people took his initial tweet and then didn't read the subsequent tweets. All the first thing everybody panicked and said, if these are predetermined sites, then that means we can't host. And then everybody freaked out. And it really wasn't fair to him. Now, could he have worded it a little differently? Probably so. But he did his best to try to provide some context in the tweets that followed. But many people didn't read those. They just read the first thing. It's like we go back to, you know, people read the headlines, don't read the articles. Same thing here. You know, we read it, and it's not what we want to hear, and so we panic, and then we begin to kind of infer some things that aren't necessarily there. So it's not a perfect situation by any means. And Mississippi State is probably at a bit of a disadvantage because our strength of schedule in April is so so much stronger than it is in May. We won't get the benefit when it comes to picking the host. But the bottom line is this, as long as we're in the top 16 – and we close out strong before they announce the full tournament field, we have some room to move up. So those games are still meaningful. It's important to understand that. Those games are still going to be meaningful. It's not going to be an inter-squad scrimmage where we just go out there and throw the trainers out there and call it a day and save everybody's arms and hope we can get to Omaha. No, that's not how it's going to work. And so this is a, a process that everybody's kind of figuring out as they go. And, you know, there, there is a possibility. Let's, let's say the number 16 seed, let's say that, you know, they go on a losing streak in the month of May. Maybe they have a couple of pitchers that uh, get COVID or whatever and then they can't pitch for a couple of weeks and then they go on a 10-game losing streak and let's say they fall out of the top 48 or so. Then all of a sudden you could have a, a regional host that doesn't have a home team. You know, theoretically that's possible. I don't know how probable it is, but it's still possible. It's important to kind of understand that before we even get started. You know, they're going to be very judicious in their decisions. And I, I, listen, you, there's not going to be anybody that gets a regional host that's not deserving. You're not going to say, well, you know, we need more spots out in California. You know, I don't know anybody that wants to go out there right now, too, either. You know, with all that, the, the craziness that's going on, you know, with, uh, you know, with all the lockdowns out there. 
And so it may be difficult, you know, to make that happen. And so, listen, there's going to be a lot of sites around the country, but they're not just going to say, okay, well, we need two here and two there. No, it's not going to be some arbitrary thing. It's going to be who deserves to host. So that aspect of this process has not changed. And again, it's not going to be a situation where we're going to be on the road or on neutral sites. That's, that's not, that, unless the plan changes. You know, the current plan is for it to be on a college campus and for you to host. And listen, this is an NCAA tournament that makes money. You know, there's not a lot of things out there to produce revenue in college athletics. This is one of them. And so the NCAA is going to want to get this right. Not to mention, they know that all of you are going to be jumping on top of each other to get tickets to go to an NCAA regional because you want to believe that your team's going to get to Omaha. And you want to be there to help. You want to be there to see it. You want to be there to make some memories. That's how this thing works. And so, yeah, Mississippi State's got a huge capacity. And so people say, well, you know, it's all about the dollars. Well, you know, State's deserving. We're going to be in. And then the NCAA and everybody else is going to benefit because we're going to put up big crowds out there. And so just be patient with the process. And let's not react before we get all the facts, right? All of a sudden, we see a tweet, and it's like we're ready to prepare for Harry Carey. I mean, just let's just take a deep breath every once in a while and say, okay, let me get some context. The first thing that I did, you know, there's a lot of people, the first time they see something, they, they just go to social media. Oh, well, I see this. Well, let me just react, and why are we doing this? What's going on? Wait. So rather than just react, I went and got on the phone, and I called a few people and said, okay, what is this about? Here is what's being reported. Is there any truth to this? What's the context here? What's the thinking here? And, and all of a sudden, I talked to a couple people, and it's like, okay, yeah, that, that's true, but here's how it's expected to play out. And all of a sudden, it makes sense. You know, it's like the first time we hear something, we all like, oh, my gosh, especially if it's not what we want to hear, we react negatively. So let's just take a deep breath. And let's remember, too, we didn't get a College World Series last year. And I think it's important, too, before we move on, as crazy as this year has been, the past 12 months, we were able to crown a national champion in football, and we just crowned the national championship in women's and men's basketball. And we're going to crown a baseball national champion, a softball champion later this year. And so, you know, as crazy as it's all been, we're able to kind of get back to doing business when it comes to athletics. And so everybody has been somewhat impacted by these COVID protocols when it comes to athletics. You know, they had the bubble, right, for the tournament, for the men's and women's tournament. And so you're probably going to see some of that too when it comes to baseball. You're not going to have guys out there doing autograph sessions and things like that and put themselves at risk. There are bigger things at stake at this point. So we're going to crown a national champion in baseball. And maybe it's us. Maybe it's Arkansas. Maybe it's Florida State. But the bottom line is we're going to be in the mix of that. And so let's just calm down a little bit. Let's go win some ball games. Because the worst thing that could happen is, that, you know what, let, let, we go out there and go in the tank. We don't win any ball games, and we're just kind of scratching through, and then we end up being a number two somewhere else, and we got to go on the road. That's not to say we're not capable of winning on the road, but we want to play all of our postseason games before Omaha right here at Duty Noble Field. So the Bulldogs have got business to attend to before we all kind of – you know, freak out and kind of think, oh, well, all is lost. Speaking of baseball, our good friend Brooks Bryan, very much involved 
with this new residential development right here in Starkville, Portico, great place. And I've had so many people say, you know what, Steve, I've always wanted to move back to Starkville. It's always been our dream as a family to move back. Well, now's the best time to do it. If you've got opportunities to move, I think you should consider the Golden Triangle. And if you're going to move to the Golden Triangle, why wouldn't you want to be right here by the stadium? Right? Portico is just over a mile away from Davis Wade Stadium, just over a mile away from Dirty Noble Field. That is a dream come true, right? Portico's deal is uh, first phase, only a few houses left. So if you're looking to move soon, you need to make a call sooner rather than later. And maybe you're thinking, you know what, Steve, we're not going to really do anything until the kids get out of school. Phase two may be your way. Portico is located on Garrett Road. That's, listen, very easy to find when you turn off of 82 on a 12, like going to campus. It's the very first right. That, that right there is called Pat Station Road. As you cross Old West Point Road, it becomes Garrett Road. And then there's Portico, your new home. Great residential complex. So much to like about that place. And going to have a, a size house for you. Whether you've got a growing family or you said, listen, this is, Steve, this is what we do on weekends. We, we just want a place up there so we can come up there. And, you know, we really wanted something more than a condo. We wanted a home. And so maybe it's an investment property for you. Maybe it's a getaway, a weekend getaway for you. Portico, absolutely the way to go. Give Brooks a call today. Don't take my word for it. Ask Brooks, and he'll give you all the details you need. 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. Make Portico your next move. All right, let's take a look at Auburn. All right, Auburn, uh, one of two schools in the SEC that have a losing record overall, and that's Auburn and Mizzou. I don't think that is a reflection of Auburn's talent level. They've had some guys on the shelf starting to get some guys back. They're 12-13 and 13 overall and 1-8 and eight in the league. They're going to be a desperate team. They're going to be at home, and they've actually been pretty good at home, 8-6. and six. You know, their, their struggles have kind of come on the road. They're 8-6. and six. Of course, their one SEC win came on the road last weekend in Fayetteville, uh, and that's a place we hadn't won at in forever and a day. They opened the season with a three-game sweep of Prez Christian and um, really, really pitched it well, just allowed five runs on the weekend. Then they had uh, the midweek, you know, just annihilation of Alabama A&M that got everybody's attention. They, they won 18-2, to and then they won 33 to nothing, set a program record. So 5-0 and to start the season, and they go out to the Round Rock Classic, and that's very similar to what we did. We, you know, we went to Arlington, that same caliber of tournament. They go out there, and they lose to Oklahoma 4-3, uh, to and, and the Sooners are a very good team and will be in an NCAA regional somewhere. Auburn loses that game in 10 innings, 4-3. Baylor got after them pretty good, 12-6. They bounce back to beat A&M 6-1 on Sunday to kind of salvage one of the three games. You know, the quality of that win at the time seemed to be pretty good. In hindsight, doesn't seem to be nearly as big a deal. But uh, they win there, and, of course, it does not count in the conference standings. They come back the next weekend and lose two out of three to Boston College in Auburn. And then one of the things I think is important, too, Boston College was ranked, you know, considered you know one of the top teams uh, in the country at the time. You know, kind of looking at Boston College, you know, since the time that they, they, they played Auburn, uh, you know, it hadn't been the best of times. They're now 14 and 13. They were 18 in the country 
when they went into Auburn. They're now four and eleven uh, in their conference, and so it has been a much different deal, you know, for for Boston College now that ACC play uh, has started. So that seemed like a really big win early on. It could be, yeah, well, you know, Boston College is a little bit better than Auburn. And uh, it looks like they're a pretty mediocre team now. Auburn did, uh, did win that Saturday game 16-1. to But, uh, you know, just it, it, again, in hindsight, knowing what we know now that we have some proper context about Boston College, that series loss looks really bad, pretty bad blemish on the resume for the Tigers. Uh, they do beat UAB in Birmingham 6-5, bounce back to beat uh, Arkansas Little Rock 2 out of 3. And, of course, uh, the Trojans take the Sunday game 12-6, but uh, Auburn pitched it pretty well on Friday and Saturday, back-to-back shutouts. Then they uh, they get the midweek win over Lipscomb in Nashville before SEC play opens up. And then they travel to Oxford, and, and Ole Miss got them pretty good. Uh, Ole Miss struggled a little bit offensively in the first couple of ball games. They win one nothing, win six five, and then nineteen to eleven. You remember how crazy that game was, where Auburn scored like eight runs late in the game to uh, to, to force Ole Miss to have to score again. And then they uh, they they host Kentucky, and Kentucky takes all three games, all of them very competitive games, eight six seven six six to four. No midweek games, and then they go to you know take care of Arkansas in that Friday game, and then lose six five and six five. And so, while they their conference record is not good, they have been competitive in just about every game. You know the Auburn Ole Miss game on Sunday kind of got away from that nineteen to eleven, but all the rest of these losses, you know, one or two runs. And so those are kind of the games that we're used to playing. But one of the things that I think is interesting, and maybe this is an indictment on the fact that their, uh, you know, midweek pitching has uh, been an issue, but they have not played a midweek game here in the last couple of weeks, and they're starting to get some arms healthy. But you know, we'll kind of see how things progress. I expect us to go down there and win a series, and maybe it's a two-one type deal. But uh, we're going to have to go play. This is a team that has some talent, and again, they have had some arms that have been on the shelf, kind of getting those guys back. Let's look at some numbers here and kind of look at who's doing what for Auburn. And listen, they're one of these launch angle teams that wants to hit home runs a lot. And uh, that was the, the thing about the Ole Miss game when they lost 6-5. All five of Auburn's runs came on solo home runs. So they were having trouble kind of getting guys on base. Let's look at hitting before we get into pitching. All right, so the straw that's been stirring the drink for the Tigers is Tyler Murray. Tyler Murray has started all 34 games for them Leading the team with a 376 average. He is a junior out of Spanish Fort, Alabama. Uh, looking across his numbers here, he's a guy that has nine home runs, 35 RBIs, obviously one of the better hitters in the conference. He's also stole a handful of stolen bases and has 10 walks, only struck out 17 times uh, on the year. Ryan Bliss is a name that you guys know. Bliss has been around a few 24 hours. A junior out of LaGrange, Georgia, Troop County High School there, uh, has been a middle infielder for a while for them, hitting 360. Hitting 360 with seven bombs, 16 RBI, so not a lot of RBI opportunities for him, but he's a guy that's certainly capable of beating you deep. Rankin Woolley's another guy. It feels like that he's been there as long as Tanner Allen's been here, but uh, you know, he's a grad student. Uh, infielder for them as well. Rankin Woolley, 337 average. Two home runs, 12 RBI. Uh, Brody Moore hitting 333 for the team, also a regular starter uh, out of uh, 
I always mispronounce this, and I had some kids that came to my combine from this. I think it's on. I'm going I'm to blow it up. I know I am. <coughs> it's uh, Oneata, Alabama. I know that's wrong. So please forgive me. Uh, but Brody's a guy too that uh, has the ability to hit the long ball. As a team, you know, it's kind of up and down the order. They got 37 bombs this year, and they've allowed just 22. And so, again, in their ballpark, they've been able to score some some runs offensively. We got to go up there and pitch it well. You know, it's one of those things too. Plains and Park looks a little different with that big green monster out there, and you think, okay, I can get it over that thing, and it kind of messes with your head a little bit. Uh, as a team, they're hitting 298, which is not especially robust, but uh, good enough to win some ball games. They've just been one of these teams that um, you know they have been kind of tough luck in close ball games. Uh, 22 of 32 of stolen bases. And uh, just kind of looking around the numbers here, I mean, it, it, it's the hits are kind of spread all around. And so it's not like you can just line up and say, okay, we'll just pitch around this guy, pitch around this guy. If you pitch around too many guys, next thing you know, you've put yourself in a negative situation. All right, let's take a look at pitching here. You know, the, the guy that kind of is, you know, the guy that probably all we figured should be here is Richard Fitz, you know, the younger brother of Trevor Fitz. Uh, he has kind of worked himself back into the mix now. Uh, looking at numbers early on, you know, he, he picked up uh, a win over Prez and then uh, had a rough outing against Baylor, allowed seven runs on nine hits and four in the third innings. And then Boston College got him for five runs on seven hits. And then they shut him down for a couple of weeks and then kind of brought him back a little bit slowly. I'm not exactly sure what the issue was. He goes two innings of no-hit ball against Lipscomb Goes out for an inning against Kentucky, gives up two runs on three hits, and gets just one-third of an inning against Arkansas, two runs on two hits. So he is clearly not not right, but they're, again, trying to work him back. Uh, Cody Greenhill had a really good outing against Arkansas. He's the one that picked up the win there. He's a senior out of Russellville, Alabama, 6'4", 216, another guy that's been around a few 24 hours. He goes seven innings and allows one run on three hits against Arkansas in Fayetteville, exactly the kind of outing they needed. And, uh, you know, against Kentucky, too, pretty good outing there, too, just the uh, two runs on three hits. His previous two starts were against uh, Ole Miss and UA Little Rock. Against Ole Miss, he goes seven shutout innings. In Little Rock, he goes five shutout innings. So this is a guy that's not going to allow a lot of earned runs. Matter of fact, he's given up six earned runs uh, on the year so if you beat him you're going to have to beat him he's not going to give you a whole lot and that's one of the things that we're kind of working towards is being a better offensive team and every week I always hear about you know what we saw a great arm we're going to see some good arms at Auburn too Cody Greenhill one of them uh, looking at Cody's numbers across here because I'm sure that's who we'll see Friday night with McLeod on the hill six starts 1.62 ERA 33 and a third innings pitch, 19 hits, seven runs, six of them earned. Three to one strikeout to walk ratio, 24 to eight. He has had a couple of extra base hits allowed against him. Uh, Mason Barnett, another guy that I'm sure that we'll see, right-hand pitcher out of Cartersville, Georgia, uh, pitched some in relief and has done some spot starting for them. Uh, went three innings against Ole Miss. Ole Miss really got to him, uh, six runs on five hits. And then Kentucky got to him as well, five runs on six hits. And he did throw a couple of innings of relief against Arkansas. One one good outing and then one poor outing where he actually walked five hitters. Uh, and that was on the April 3rd. That's on the uh, Sunday game. Uh, 
but I'm sure we'll see him. Uh, looking a little bit deeper into the pitching staff here, you know, just kind of running some numbers down as a staff. Uh, Jack Owens, another guy too. It seems like it's been there forever. Uh, Jack hadn't done a whole lot th- this year, but um, I mean, maybe I'm misremembering that. But uh, they're going to have some guys come out here and really compete. You you know what Butch is going to do, right? I mean, you know Butch is going to have those guys ready to go. Uh, Trace Bright, that's another guy I'm sure that we'll see. Uh, Trace Bright has kind of moved to the bullpen here as of late, but um, you know, pitched early on as a starter, started against Alabama A&M, had to win over A&M, uh, and then you know, decent outing against Boston College, and then they get into SEC play, and he becomes more of a, uh, a spot reliever, I guess. But uh, listen, Ole Miss put up seven runs on him. In one and a third innings, Kentucky put up four runs on him. In three innings, Arkansas puts up four runs on one and two-third. And so SEC play has not been kind to these pitchers. And so we've got to make sure that that's uh, something that we continue. Again, look at their numbers as a staff here. Uh, they have allowed a ton of earned runs, you know, in relation to the rest of the runs. You know, the, the, they don't give you a whole lot. But uh, what you do score, you generally have to hit. You have to hit those runs in. We talked about that a little bit earlier in the show. You know, we can't just rely on these gift runs. That's the thing about Auburn is that they're a team that, you know, it's going to be pretty good defensively. They're going to be well coached, and so we kind of know that going in. Uh, looking at their strikeouts as a staff here, 215 Ks to 99 walks. And so that's uh, well beneath the 3-1 to deal. They've allowed 22 home runs, of course, and uh, 33 doubles. So you have the ability to kind of stretch the field against those guys just a little bit. I'll tell you, another guy that people really high on was uh, Peyton Glavin, you know, Tom Glavin's kid and uh, left-handed pitcher. Has really just kind of been a matchup guy for them. Hadn't done a whole lot, did not throw against Arkansas. Last outing was an inning against Kentucky and uh, threw two and a thirds against Ole Miss and gave up three runs on four hits. Got rocked pretty good by Lipscomb in a midweek game. And so, he, obviously, he has not lived up to his billing at this point. But, uh, you know, again, this is a team that I don't think we can look at and say, okay, we can just show up out there with them over us. These guys are going to respect us. You know, Butch knows our culture. And so, Butch is going to have those guys understanding that, you know what, this is a Mississippi State team that's going to come in here and do this and do that. Uh, it's not going to be a situation where we, let's just focus on us. No, they're going to be very, 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 very educated on what Mississippi State does and doesn't do well. And they're going to then try to exploit that. Uh, I know that those guys still have a relationship. A lot of people here at Mississippi State, Butch, obviously a great man. But uh, listen, you know, Butch will pull for you, but we got to get you this weekend. And I agree with what Chris Lamona said. Their, their backs are against the wall. This is a team that a lot of people thought could be a bit of a dark horse and kind of sneak into a regional somewhere. And with Bush's ability to manage a pitching staff, kind of steal a regional like it's a number two and then get to the super regional round. And listen, if the pitching comes around, when you've got a guy like Butch, uh, you know, he can coach you through a best two out of three series. So far, they haven't been able to do that. So they are going to be very desperate this weekend. They're seeing their season slip away from them. Currently seventh in the SEC West, one and eight. But again, these games have been competitive. It's not like they've just been completely destroyed these ball games. They're just having difficulty finding a way to win. We have found the self-fulfilling prophecy, and Chris Lamonis has said it as well. You know, listen, 
you know, when we get in these ball games, middle innings, we think, you know what, we're going to find a way to win this thing. And on the, on the flip side is, is Auburn's thinking, you know what, we're going to find a way to lose this thing. And the funny thing is they're both right. But I don't believe this is a situation where we can go on the road and just kind of, you know, hope for the best and go out there and put two or three runs on the board and say, yeah, the bullpen will make it hold up. we got to go out there and hit the baseball. we got to go out there and move runners. we got to go over there and play good defense. We didn't have any errors against Southern, and that was that's, that's a rarity for us. And maybe it's because Tanner Liggett's in the lineup, and that's not a shot at Scotty DeBrule, but, you know, sometimes you make that move, like when we move Foscue from third to second, and all of a sudden the infield began to gel. You, you figure out that Cam James goes to third and Forsyth goes in the lineup, and all of a sudden maybe you found something with Tanner Leggett. And you probably ride with that lineup. You know, Josh Hatcher started out in left tonight, and then you got Logan Tanner at first. You know, and so I don't know if it's a long-term move, and maybe it's just a matter of just kind of letting Josh relax a little bit. We need to get his back going, okay? And, and listen, I, I read the comments, and I get it. I understand it. It's like, why is he still playing – yeah, the bottom line is, is that Josh is one of our more capable power hitters. We got to get him going. We got Rowdy going, and I think it's just a matter of time before Josh breaks out too. And listen, there are sometimes, listen, he takes some horrendous swings. I'm not going to sit here and defend that. I joke with some kinds in the press box too. When it's a 2-0 count, he's swinging at the pitch. It doesn't matter where it is. He's swinging at the 2-0 pitch. And so he's got to have better plate discipline. He's got to have better pitch selection. But I think it's just a matter of time before he gets going. Just like we've seen with Rowdy. Now, all of a sudden, you let Rowdy play his way through it. Now, Rowdy's going. You got Lane Forsythe out there, a guy that's not even supposed to be playing. They got him going. You need to get Braylon Skinner going, too. You, you know what you're going to get from Tanner Allen. You know, Cam James is, is, uh, is good for a couple of hits on a weekend, big hits. And so, it's just a matter of time, I think, before this offense starts clicking. Because it would be one thing if it's the young guys that weren't hitting. You know, there's always going to be some of that with newcomers. But, you know, you know what you got with T.A., you know what you got with Rowdy, you know what you got with Josh. Josh is a you know, career 300 hitter, and right now he's hitting about 200. And so once it, that begins to even out, I think that's going to be big for Mississippi State. Perhaps it happens this weekend. Maybe that's, maybe that's the breakout weekend that we need is Josh Hatcher to kind of get things going. I thought he hit a couple balls hard tonight. He does roll over a lot too. That's one of the things that – you know, you hope that Jake Gotrook can correct. He is a guy that's really a top-hand hitter, and he will beat the ball in the ground. And, again, some of that's pit selection, too. It's he's looking fastball, and guys are able to kind of get into those barrel angles, those bad angles, excuse me. All right, so let's get ready to get out of here. Uh, it's been a long day. Tomorrow won't be quite so long. Uh, We've got a lot of things going on around here. But uh, so we'll have the boneyard up this morning, and then, uh, you know, Paul and I have some stories to write. David, uh, Robbie did some football content and uh, we'll, we'll get to that stuff a little bit later in the week. I'll we'll get with you on Friday. We, we won't preview Auburn on Friday. I wanted to go ahead and get that done today uh, because of the fact that I wanted Friday to be a, kind of a football-heavy show, and then we'll kind of preview the SEC weekend, kind of look at who all everybody's playing and maybe predict some of those series. But uh, excited about baseball, you should be as well. And I think this Auburn series is one that uh, we can go down there and win. Can we sweep? I don't know. I don't know. And you take it one game at a time. But I'm a little concerned about the weather at this point. Hopefully that will clear up before we get there. I don't want to get in a situation where we go down there and play the seventh-place team in the West and we don't get the benefit of playing the full series, especially when they're going to announce these regional uh, host sites 
much sooner. We need these wins. We need to find out, find a way to get down there and uh, have a winning weekend and kind of advance our own interest. So I'll see you guys on Friday. You guys have a great day today. And until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.